Well, as we get started tonight, my name is Melissa, and I'm on staff with our ministry. I'm excited to teach tonight. Woo! Go staff! Um, a little of that kind of basic background stuff, because it's my first time teaching this year. I grew up on the west side in Redmond, and I went to college at Western. Sorry, but it, it was, it's, it's true. Um, I majored in public health and minored in Spanish and psychology. Um, but honestly, guys, the number one best part of college for me was, like, getting deeply involved in Chi Alpha and giving Jesus my whole life. Like diving deep in, in core and one-on-ones and Chi Alpha and God times and just reading the word for myself freshman year was like the best investment I've ever made. Because um, God just like straight up changed and saved my life in college. He met me, he broke me free of things, he like literally transformed my life. And that's why I, I love getting to still work um, for Chi Alpha as a campus minister, helping you guys like, you know, all a bunch of years later, get to experience that life that's truly life following Jesus. So I've been on staff here for 12 years, which might make me old, I don't know, it's up to you. Um, but I'm going on a lifetime here, and I think it's really a privilege and a joy to serve you guys. Um, I'm married to Tony, who's also on staff. He's, uh, he's homesick tonight, um, so you can pray for him, but um, yeah, he's homesick. But we just celebrated 10 years of marriage this summer, um, and we have two kids. I think they're on a, a picture, yep. That's us, and pumpkin patch this weekend. Um, Tyler is five, almost five and a half. He's in kindergarten at Ida, so student teachers, watch out. Um, Annabelle's three, even though she's like pretty giant for being three. Um, she's in preschool. A bunch of you guys uh, from my core last year work with her at Mercer Creek. And obviously my kids are a huge part of my life and my heart. And it's funny, I noticed this fall, like meeting students, meeting you guys, I noticed how often I started like bringing up my kids in conversation. Um, be like, oh, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh yeah, my kids. Um, not really like that, but like, I remember even like last Tuesday at the Kyle House after party, the ice cream party, shameless plug for that, it was really awesome. Um, I remember bringing up Tyler and telling a joke that he told me that morning when I was walking to the school bus stop, and he was like, hey mama, why couldn't the chicken fly? And I was like thinking about all the like, why couldn't the chicken cross the road jokes, and I was like, I don't know bud, why? And he's like, because he was too fat. <laughs> and Caden actually really liked that joke, so if Caden tells you that joke and like <laughs> seems original, just be like, bro, that's like five-year-old Tyler's joke, move on. Um, but yeah, it's funny when I notice myself bringing up my kids in conversation, because we talk about the things that we love, right? Yeah. It's also funny now that our kids are old enough to like pick up on the things that me and Tony as parents are interested in, um, the things that we talk about. Like I just made a list yesterday of the things that I heard the kids talk about this last weekend, only because they've heard about it from Tony. Like this is just Tony. <laughs> um, Teslas, driving around Ellensburg, they identify all the different kinds of Teslas. There's not that many, but she's like, is that a Model S or a Model 3? <laughs> Tony's like, that's a Model S. Um, they have their list on like which of us in the family want different models. So Tony, Tyler wants an S, Annabelle wants a 3, I want an X, Tony wants a Y. We're never going to get them ever, but it's just, that's the list that we talk about. Um, outer space, SpaceX rocket launches, wanting to zoom to the moon in Annabelle's words. That's all Tony. I would like to stay feet planted firmly on the earth until Jesus is my ride. Um, let Lime team, team stay in here. Um, Legos, Tyler is into like building some crazy advanced Lego sets for being like five years old because Tony's talked all about them. Um, the kids like learning Vietnamese. They don't know a ton, but they can like say some words and count in Vietnamese to 30. Um, they love learning it because that's where Dada's family's from and, and that's what his family all speaks. Um, so that's really fun teaching them Vietnamese even though I'm like not quite as good, obviously. Um, it's still really fun teaching them. Video games, OMG. Tony's good at a lot of video games and he'll tell like very simplified like very G-rated, you know, sort of stories to Tyler at bedtime, and Tyler will, like, tell me 
very intensely about the characters and about the quests. And I'm like, okay, um, like, is that what happened to Link <laughs> or whatever? Um, and this alone barely scratches the surface of Tony's interests. I mean, like, get to know him. His nerdy interests are are vast and profound and amazing. Um, but it's amazing just how like little preschoolers pick up on like the things that we're interested in. I thought that was really like amazing how he'll just be like, oh, Goku did this. And I'm like, you've literally never seen Dragon Ball Z, but whatever. Um, so we all love talking about what we're passionate about, right? Like whatever your passions are, they're probably like the most fun, effortless things for you to talk about. Um, it feels so natural for us to bring those up in conversations. Um, and that's kind of what our topic is about tonight, talking about our passions and about what we love. Um, as you guys know, our theme this quarter is foundations. We're looking at what would be wisest for us to like build our lives on as Jesus followers here at Central. We've learned that as disciples of Jesus, we're established upon community, on truth, on the gospel, and like a relationship with Jesus. Um, we're established in discipleship, like living all in as his follower every day, 100%. And we're, we're established in our identity. And last week, Brandon taught a lot about identity and purpose um, as followers of Jesus. And if you miss it, you could, could you should, uh, you definitely should catch up on our podcast because we're recording and posting our messages on there now. I don't know what it's called, but ask somebody who listens to podcasts and they will tell you, probably Brayden. Um, but as Brandon was teaching, I thought it was funny that like half of what he was saying, like the verses and the, the ideas, was like the same stuff that I'd already written in this message of, for tonight about the foundation of mission, which really makes sense because so much of our identity informs our purpose and what we live for. We aren't just like floating aimless people without a job to do or a reason to get up every day. We are people beloved of the King of Kings. We're children of the Most High God. We're ambassadors of God and of his kingdom. And God gives us a purpose that doesn't only make our lives here super rich and worthwhile, but he gives us a purpose to live for that's gonna last beyond this world's expiration date. It's gonna continue after we die into eternal life. And I think Jesus is so kind and so good to give us something to live for that's gonna outlast this broken world. And that's actually gonna matter for all of eternity. Like, think of all the jobs in our world. Like, what kind of jobs will outlast even like, you know, a week or a month or like, you know, our lifetimes? Like, Jesus gives us something that will like matter and transform people's eternities. It's so worthwhile. So as we keep getting to know Jesus better and better through walking as disciples, through reading his words, spending time with him, um, we like grow more in our identity and purpose. And I think that the more that we love Jesus as disciples, like the more we learn about him, the more we effortlessly love him. Like every day, man, I've been following Jesus for like, I don't know, almost 30 years now. Um, don't try to count, but like it's almost 30 years now. Um, and it never gets old. Everything I learned about him, I'm like, wow, there's so much more to love. There's so much more to learn. It, it does not get boring. It gets even more cooler. Yeah, that makes sense, even more cooler. Um, because Jesus is just so lovable. He's so worthy. He's so attractive. And it's a natural reflex of my heart to love him more. And as you get to know him more, I'm sure you will find the same thing for yourself. So as we get going tonight, let's dive into a passage which is going to give us a really cool like glimpse into how the first Jesus followers, the first disciples, um, lived as they were learning their purpose, identity, and life of discipleship. So Bible pastors, can you come on down? Um, and if you guys need a Bible tonight, um, just kind of like raise your hand a little bit. That's the Bible yo symbol. Um, you can just borrow it tonight and then leave it or just keep it forever. They will get it to you. And sound people, thank you for recording. So we're going to flippity flip over to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 1, 41 through 47. So Acts 2, 41 through 47. 
And basically we're catching the story right after Peter, one of the, the OG 12 disciples, he just like preaches this spontaneous, like spirit-filled bomb message to like thousands of people who are, who are just all gathered being like, what's up with these people, um, essentially. And so we're catching right at the very end of his, of his message. Verse 41 says, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to the number of Jesus followers that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Sounds like some good foundations, haha. Um, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to anybody who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Okay, so this is like a, a little tiny snapshot into what that community of early followers of Jesus looked like. And some of these guys have been following Jesus ever since his earthly ministry, when he was walking around as a rabbi and he was, he was just making like a really big deal, um, touching a lot of people, changing, making the religious leaders really mad, all the stuff that he did. Um, they were following him from then. Other people had like joined later and later in the story. And Others, like at least 3,000 we just read about, had just freshly joined the family of believers that very day. Like they were fresh um, into it. But Jesus had become these believers' passion. And they were cultivating their love for him in these settings and like a worshiping, praying, Bible studying, sacrificially sharing, discipling, carb-eating community. Let's go. Every day they were growing more and more passionate about Jesus. Because passion for Jesus just naturally grows with these kinds of like nutrients um, nurturing it and encouraging it to grow. And we see that through their example, and we see that in our lives as we're going deeper with our cores in Kaiapha, right? Like our love for Jesus is growing every single week. So this is a really cool little like macro snapshot thing, but what happens in like the everyday life, like just one straight up ordinary day of some disciples who are growing my passion about Jesus every day? Um, let's like keep reading and it's gonna zoom in um, to like one ordinary day for two guys, Peter and John. So let's keep reading, and it's going to be Acts 3, verses 1 through 16. So one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same guy who used to sit begging by the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw them, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though Pilate had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, 
but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. So what immediately sticks out to me as I read this passage is just how normal, how ordinary this day was when it started. Peter and John were just cruising down the road on a normal afternoon, just doing their, their usual thing. It was just another day. They were just walking to their Tuesday afternoon class. They were just watching the game in the lounge, just walking to homes for their God time. They were just going to a practice room as usual. Honestly, if they were here today, they probably would have been like doing a pokey walk or going to play spike ball on the lawn. It was just another day with nothing special on the calendar. And same deal for the other guy in the story, the beggar who was paralyzed and he couldn't walk. The author says he was being carried to Temple Gate where he was put every day to beg. This was just so routine for both of them. But did you guys know that God loves working in the ordinary? He loves showing up in amazing ways on normal days, possibly even more than he loves parting the seas or like interrupting nature's rhythms for some big like supernatural display. Um, and if our eyes are looking for the next huge earth-shattering event for God to show up, I'd challenge us to recalibrate our focus onto everyday life and start noticing all that he's up to. He for sure does like do big supernatural displays. He can do anything. But oftentimes he's doing so much right before our eyes that we haven't like learned how to tune our focus into. Um, so tomorrow morning when you, when you wake up, you can just say like, good morning, Jesus. What do you have planned for us today? What are you going to do? Help me see what you're doing. So back to Peter and John's excellent adventure. The man called out to them as they were going into the cirque. Oh, weird. I mean the temple gate. And he asked them for money, like he'd probably done to a million people a million times over his life, 40 years of being unable to walk, his days consisting of constantly begging from passerbys. I don't know if he noticed anything special about Peter and John, but something special for sure happened. So he asked them for money, and they took the opportunity to give him the most valuable thing they had, power and authority in the name of Jesus. And the result was he was miraculously healed. Guys, just try to think about how much this dude's life was transformed like transformed in that second through that encounter with them when they just stopped, paused their little itinerary and just ministered to him and Jesus healed him. Like in that day, the average life expectancy was like 40 some years. And later on, it says that this guy was over 40 years old. That's an entire lifetime, like literally a lifetime of never walking. I kind of laughed when I read the part about jumping up when I was reading it because I was like, oh, maybe that's the first time he's ever jumped. Like, I don't know. That could have been the first time this guy has ever jumped or walked and got to experience that. He had been past hope. I, I'm sure he felt doomed to beg on the outside of God's house for however many days or years he had left. That's the only life he'd ever known. This guy had never been able to go beyond outsides, beyond the, like, the gates of the temple to actually go inside with everybody else. He was always an outsider, always stared at, always just out of reach, always watching everybody else live. But God loved him. So when Jesus' disciples noticed and responded to that opportunity, they detoured from their path, paused their goal calendar for a second, and ministered to his need, and his life was completely, utterly transformed. Forty years, his, his legs worked. He could stand up on his own and go through that gate he's always been on, just on the outside of to finally worship God with everybody else for the first time. And everybody else who'd known this dude their entire lives are like, what? Like, they knew him, and they were amazed. Wouldn't we be? So tonight, I want to look at two reasons for why I think Peter and John acted the way that they did towards this guy as we think about how we, too, want to be a community founded on mission. So the first reason, I think that they were looking for opportunities every day. So in the midst of Peter and John's ordinary day, they noticed this divine opportunity. 
because I think they were looking for it. Nowadays, I think us humans are really cute and we're really funny, and sometimes our little funny brains think that there's like a division between the sacred and the secular. Like these are like churchy hours on my, my calendar and these are like normal person hours. Um, but did you guys know that that perceived division between sacred and secular is just totally a myth? When we give our lives to Jesus, we give our entire selves to him. When somebody gets baptized, does like 10% get baptized or like their whole entire body gets dunked under the water? You gotta make sure you get the whole body, otherwise, you know, it's theologically sketchy. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> right, Jesus doesn't just baptize our Tuesdays and our core nights and then make those holy, but not our Friday and Saturday nights. It's not like our hands are sanctified and set apart for like holy use when we're lifting them in worship, but they're not late at night on the internet or anything like that. Our whole lives, our whole selves, everything is devoted to following Jesus. There's no separation between these are like holy hours and these are like worldly hours. We worship him in all that we do, every hour of every day. So every single moment is sacred. Every single moment is, is set apart for Jesus and his divine use. Because if we're following him, we are set apart and set apart for divine use. That means holy. No matter how seemingly ordinary, God can and will work and he'll cue us to join him and do something extraordinary in any normal day. And if our radar gets tuned, we'll learn how to hear him. Stay tuned for more on that to fall retreat. Plug. Guys, what if each of us started thinking that God is always here with us? That Jesus is always ready to minister to somebody that we might come across? I don't know if we can max out his capacity, like maybe challenge accepted, like to see if Jesus would want to minister to people that we go across that we normally don't think of. That the Holy Spirit who dwells in us is quietly whispering instructions and guidance, but we usually just haven't like tuned our brains like radio dial, if you guys still know what radios are nowadays, and the little dial, have to pick up on the frequency, I don't know, with Spotify and whatnot. I'm really making myself sound old, but. Um, anyways, what if we started, th <laughs> that went really far. Um, what if we started thinking that every moment of our days is equally qualified to be a God moment? That God wants to walk through your walking to class or sitting doing homework or getting coffee or doing your laundry just as much as he wants to work through you when you're at Chi Alpha and Core and in a one-on-one. -on -one. He could speak through you to somebody else in any of those settings grocery store, gas station, I don't even know. I, I still vividly remember when I first like learned this. I was a freshman in college at Western. I was reading my Bible in my dorm room at like 10 or 11 a.m. after my morning classes um, that were like earlier than I liked and when my roommate was in class and I don't know what I read but it hit me that like God was present in every single moment. He wanted to work through my life in every moment, not just to like church in Chi Alpha. And I was like, whoa. I remember closing my Bible and just bursting out of my room and heading to the dining, dining hall for lunch with eyes that felt like they'd just been opened. Like, anybody here else than me wear, does anybody else here wear glasses or contacts? Yeah, that's a lot of us. Blessings. Um, do you guys remember that first drive home from the optometrist's office when you, like, with, got your new lenses and you look like an idiot to the rest of the world? Because, you, you know, your mom's driving, you're out here like, who knew there was leaves? Hello! Those green blobs have names. That's so much easier for navigating. I loved learning that. You can like read words on those. I'm all about that. Man, it's just like literally, if you haven't had glasses, I mean, you're really missing out on like that moment. <laughs> but you probably just know that the world is cool and detailed for a lot longer than us. But anyways, like been there, never forget. So it was just like that. Hopefully I didn't look like an idiot quite as much, but it was like my eyes in a spiritual way were opened to realize like how much richer my world was than I previously had been aware. And I found myself like wanting to open the door for people and like actually notice them, not in a creepy way, but just in like a I care about people way. Um, like genuinely wish you a good day. Like um, going to the dining hall, giving the lady my little swipey swipey card. And like I wanted to like talk to her like 
as if I actually cared and noticed that she's like a human, um, representing that God lives inside of me and he wants to touch people's lives. Maybe she'd never experienced somebody caring about her that day. Um, but if God lives inside of me, she sure ought to in that moment when I'm coming up to give her my card. Let me tell you guys, life gets so much more exciting when we realize God is present and delighting in every moment, not just the ones like purple or whatever in your calendar is like church or Kyle or whatever. He's way too big for that. His heart for the lost is way too infinitely big for that. So I think Peter and John were already living this way. They'd already calibrated their like radar to be listening for Jesus's promptings as they went about every day. They were looking for chances to talk about him. Second reason is that I believe they had rebuilt their lives around Jesus's mission. They'd rebuilt their lives around his mission. So how did Peter and John, as like two of Jesus' disciples, sent ones into this world, how did they like set up their lives to live strategically? So we already talked about like how they'd grown and kept cultivating a passion for Jesus through that Acts 2 passage with everybody like coming together and, and like learning about Jesus together, worshiping him, eating bread, all that stuff. Um, I know that their old lifestyles had just been totally gutted and renovated from the studs up through discipleship. And they spent time following Jesus in community, worshiping, people, worshiping him with other people every day. But do you guys know there was another moment even earlier on when Jesus himself had given them a commission, a charge, a mission to be about that makes everything at the Temple Gate encounter in Acts 3 make sense. So you guys probably know where I'm going. Check out with me, Matthew 8, 28, 18 through 20. So Jesus came to the disciples, including Peter and John, and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. I obviously was not there. I'm old, but not that old. Um, but I, I think that if I had like been there and heard Jesus speak those words first time they were ever uttered on this planet, after he had just come back from the dead, which people don't really do, and right before I like watched him be airlifted to heaven, which people also don't typically do, I feel like I would have remembered them. I feel like I wouldn't easily forget those words. These were like the last marching orders he gave to his, like, his followers, his OG disciples, right before like handing off the baton of his ministry. He was like, guys, you watched me do this for three years. Now I'm handing it to you. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit to live in you and do what I've been doing and do even greater things than these. And he's giving them the baton of his ministry and his Holy Spirit saying, go make disciples, like, like share this message from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all the ends of the earth. And um, he like was handing them the, the baton right then. And I think in that moment, this is what Peter and John's life mission had become. Since that day, way before the Acts 2 passage, they made their lives all about fulfilling the mission Jesus gave them. They committed to daily obey their king's marching orders. They'd already gotten a jump start on putting the my monster to death inside of them. The my monster says things like, my time, my needs, my wants, my money, my future, my plans, my career, my major, my relationship. I don't have time for that. I'm too busy to stop. I'm too tired. I don't feel like it. I and me and my life. The my monster is kind of whinier than that, but I don't, that whiny voices are annoying to me. So anyways, um, Peter and John had already learned from Jesus that the my monster in them is just a byproduct of sin in our world. It's just a natural part of our human flesh. But Jesus puts that to death in us when we start following him. And the Holy Spirit, when he comes to dwell inside of us and make us more like Jesus every day, he keeps helping us put to death that my monster, that will that says, I want to be in charge. I don't feel like going to court. I don't want to do this. He helps us put that to death and be like, well, that's not really a good thing to be guiding your life. 
if you want to go the direction you really want to go. I love how Paul wrote about the mind monster. Well, I really just made up that term, but Paul wrote about it in his own way. When he said, Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Or Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. I think Brandon read this last week, but he says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one person died for all and therefore all died. Jesus died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for us and was raised again. So from now on, we regard nobody from a worldly point of view, like the lady swipe and dining hall cards or anything like that, your professor, your non-Christian roommate. We don't regard them from a worldly point of view anymore. If anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. And all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God's reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's given us the ministry, of, the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as if God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to become sin for us so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. You kind of just got to stare at that passage and like, like <laughs> figure it out. It's a lot of reconciling. It's a lot of stuff, but it's so rich and so good and helping us realize what our new life is. Do you guys see how this verse captures the mind monster being put to death so that we can take up something so much better? So that we can actively live out this new mission we've inherited from Jesus, being his ambassadors, his highest representatives on this planet, his plan for reconciling the world to himself isn't on a few priests in cathedrals somewhere who have never like played a video game or done anything like fun. It's not on a few like missionaries or pastors somewhere. His plan, you guys, is us. We are his plan for reaching this campus. You are his plan for reaching your major and your res hall. We are his plan for reaching the most like remote corners of our world where entire ethnolinguistic people groups have never heard the name of Jesus and there's nobody who can tell them in their own language yet. I used to kind of like in college freak out about what I was thinking I needed like surrender to God of like, oh, what do I have to give up to him? That sounds scary. I need to think about it. But when I stopped the focusing on so much what Jesus asked me to like give up and I realized what he's inviting me to step into, I realized we're always trading up with Jesus. It's like bigger or better for life. Like we're letting go of our tiny selves being on the throne of our lives so that the entire planet can see that Jesus is literally on the throne with a capital T. Like, that is so much better. We're letting go of something that holds us back. The My Monster is not really that cool. It holds us back from so many good things. We, we kill that so that we can step into true freedom and purpose and life that's going to outlast this earth even. So Peter and John had already learned to tell the My Monster, bro, you're not in charge anymore. Jesus is, spoiler alert, he's giving me a divine mission. They were already practicing life, not being about themselves and their comfort and their preferences but about Jesus and his divine global priorities. Another fun fact, you guys, is I don't think we even have to wait for like a special moment of calling to decide if we'll think of ourselves as missionaries or not, because we just read Jesus' words calling everyone who follows him to be about his mission. If you've been crucified with Christ, if the old is gone and the new creation is here, you have become his ambassador. You've been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. His mission has now become your mission, like you're holding the baton alongside me. Um, and it's our mission as his people. I heard a great quote one time that said, either you're a mission field or you're a missionary. You're either a mission field or you're a missionary. I don't think Jesus, Jesus has like a spectator section 
or like injured reserve or like requirements to like go to seminary and stuff before you can like minister to anybody. You're either a mission field if you have not yet given your life to Jesus or once you have, welcome to the club, you're a missionary. As you are going, make disciples. As you are going, as Peter and John were going to the temple at 3 p.m., they made a disciple out of this healed guy that we almost forgot about because I've been talking so much about other stuff. But by the authority in Jesus' name, they touched this guy's life. Rather than the voice of the mind monster being like the dominant one ringing loudly in their heads, the commission from Jesus was the beat by which they walked. And when that moment came, when they saw that dude, they knew exactly what to do. And the story keeps going through the next couple chapters. Um, we're not going to read it tonight. But as they were going next, they had the chance to share the whole story of the gospel to like the thousands of onlookers who were like, what just happened to the guy that I saw grow up and never be able to walk? Um, and at least 2,000 more people became followers of Jesus that day in addition to the healed man. That's chapter 3, 12 through 4, 12. Guys, Jesus has given us the same charge as well. Every person who repents of the old life of sin and we trust and follow Jesus as our Savior and Lord, Lord, we receive this great commission as well. As we are going, we get to make disciples of people from all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that he's taught us, and he's with us every second. So think about your going personally. Like, think back about your life. As you are going to class tomorrow, what might God want you to do to participate in his mission? As you are going to practice in the music room building or play your sport or write your code or check on your little petri dish or meet your group for a group project, how can you be on the lookout for chances to talk about Jesus, your passion? As you are going about your life tomorrow, how can you be looking for chances to share about Jesus? I want to leave us with three action points for tonight as we think about how to be people like founded on mission at Central. So the first point is to talk about Jesus naturally. Do you guys remember the beginning of this message? When I talk about how we, when we love something, we talk about it naturally without it being weird. Like how I talk about my kids without it being weird because like I'm with them every day. Um, when you're reading the Bible or you're and you're going to Core and Kyle and one-on-ones and they're like a valued part of your life, you can share that with other people without being insincere. You're actually being super sincere because it's like literally a part of your life. When you're in class and friends ask you like, hey, what are you doing tonight? It's really natural to be, up, be like, yeah, I'm going to do homework, go for a run, eat dinner with a bunch of friends, and go to Kyle tonight. Last year, I was amazed to see how Jesus was working in this same exact thing through a couple different girls in my core, um, a lot of girls in my core, actually. Um, so when I first got to know Emily last year, she told me the whole reason that she was in core and in Chi Alpha and there on my little core date meeting me for coffee was because she was in class with Abby the previous quarter. And Abby is honestly like goals in how well she naturally shares about Jesus in all of her classes and with people around her. Um, so what happened was Emily and Abby were in ed, an ed class together working on a group project, as you do. And Abby was mentioning how she's going to go to her core group that night. And that intrigued Emily, so Emily asked a couple questions about core. And then that led to Emily checking out CORE and then joining our CORE group last year, coming to Chi Alpha, reading her Bible with Abby, and giving her life to Jesus. Um, it was just blowing Emily's mind all year, like what she was learning about Jesus, and I loved getting to baptize Emily with Abby last year. Um, and it's amazing to me to think back about this beautiful person that we know who's so full of life, Emily, and to think about how it started by Abby just being who she is, just talking about what she loves in her life, and giving Emily the chance to consider Jesus. And another friend I saw just like fall in love with Jesus last year is Sammy, Sammy Dubs. And Jesus became her passion. They gave me permission to say this, don't like freak out. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure that many people on our campus know that Sammy's a barista and that she goes to Chi Alpha. 
because last winter and spring, she would make people's coffee and invite them to Chi Alpha. Um, and she invited so many people to CORE and Chi Alpha just by chatting while making their coffee. And I mean, they're very committed to getting their coffee. I mean, why would you not be? Um, and like early last spring quarter, just last spring quarter, um, my friend Erica walked into class and just felt like she should sit next to Sammy. Like she just felt like, oh, I should sit next to that girl. She looks not scary or something. I don't know, ask Erica. Um, and as they talked, Sammy talked about CORE and Chi Alpha and Erica decided to check it out. Um, and I, I remember walking like after our, her first, Erica's first CORE last year, walking out to our cars um, and Erica's like telling me like, man, God is really moving in my heart. I feel like I'm supposed to be here. Like, I haven't experienced that in a lot of years. Like, I feel like God is doing something. I, I, maybe it was him who made me want to sit by Sammy. I'm like, Kisas? I mean, I've read about that. Um, and after, after a month of going to Kor and Chi Alpha, Erica decided to follow Jesus, and she got baptized at our end-of-the-year picnic in June. And I have pictures up here of Emily and Erica both getting baptized last year. Um, because, you guys, looking at these pictures, I want us to realize these amazing stories of these beautiful friends coming to new life in Jesus, they started with little seeds of Abby and Sammy just being themselves, a tiny bit bolder than I'm naturally comfortable being, but being themselves plus a little bit of Jesus' boldness and just sharing about Jesus in natural ways with the people around them. And God uses little comments, those little moments to intrigue Emily and Erica, which began their journey of knowing Jesus. Guys, who might be on this screen next year? Who might have a similar journey this year um, who might end up getting baptized, and then if I'm preaching this message again next fall, they're going to be up here. Like, who is Jesus going to use you to share with? Who currently doesn't know Jesus, is not walking with him, but God is pursuing them. And they're going to be so glad to meet Jesus, just like Emily and Erica are. Um, who can you naturally talk about um, with the God that you love? Who can you naturally talk about the God that you love with? Anyways, my brain is scary sometimes. Um, second action point is do what you love with others. This is kind of an easy one. So the things that you naturally like to do, could you do them with somebody else who doesn't know Jesus yet? Um, for me in college, I was a long distance runner, not anymore, but in college I was. Um, and I would do like half of my weekly like super long runs with friends in class who didn't know Jesus. Because um, all you can do when you run is like look around, think, and talk. I don't think you can even Pokemon Go, I don't, I don't even know. But like when you're running, it's basically those, those things is what you're limited to. So me and these friends from class would just like talk about things in our lives and in the world and our spiritual beliefs. And I know people might argue with like sometimes philosophical arguments or like debates we bring up, but I can't think of a time that anybody's ever reacted badly to me sharing like something that I like am learning about Jesus or a story that I've seen on a mission trip with my own eyes or like sharing about my struggle in high school and college with like body image stuff, how God radically like healed my mind and my body or how he brought peace to my broken heart when I was like single for way too many years, or not too many, but way longer than I wanted to be. Um, or when I like genuinely share what's true in my life and experience, people tend to receive it really well because I'm just being like, like honest, telling them what Jesus has done in my life. Like it's real, it's true. So what do you do that you could do with somebody else? Do you play basketball or rocket league or spike ball or board games or drink coffee or possibly eat? You could do any of those things and more with another person whoever God's putting on your mind right now so that you can build a friendship and talk about Jesus naturally. When God is our passion, we naturally talk about him. Last one is, the third one is to jump on chances to be 100% on mission. Jump on chances to be 100% on mission. So in addition to learning how to share as we are going in our everyday normal life, there's also a ton of value in like pausing our normal life for a minute 
and all the responsibilities and distractions and pressures to get to like go on a short-term trip somewhere else where you get to focus on being 100% on mission with Jesus for like a week or a couple weeks or whatever. So in Chi Alpha, our favorite is called Spring Break Outreach. And Spring Break Outreach, or SBO, is basically where we send teams from our Chi Alpha during our spring break to another campus who is not on spring break. That's the key. Otherwise, it's lonely. Um, to be able to practice talking about Jesus and like making disciples and blessing their campus um, on, on their campus for a week. And guys, these are just incredible trips and like super awesome way to grow in these skills and have it become a lifestyle. It's also less scary when you're never going to see them again if you like have an awkward conversation because you're like, oh, okay, I was awkward, but like they didn't hate me, like it's still okay. Um, and so it helps you like really learn in a, new co- in a different context. Um, we're going to talk way more about these trips next week at Chi Alpha, so just stay tuned. I'm just letting you know. SBOs are awesome. And also, you guys, this year, there's something really unique that's kind of never happened before, happening called Spring Break 42. And rather than just being a central Chi Alpha event, which SBOs are, this is like something that Chi Alpha, heads up, there's Chi Alpha on like 300 some campuses all around the nation and also overseas. And all of those campuses in National Chi Alpha are like partnering and sending students to Texas. Um, it's like the few days before our spring break, like the end of finals week in winter quarter. Um, and this is gonna be a thing that's all focused on global missions, all focused on world missions. And so this is kind of like an alternative to SBO that's happening just this year. Um, SBO is a perfect experience for everybody who loves Jesus to, to like go do that. And specifically people who like are really thinking about overseas missions in your future, if that's something that has been on your heart or God's maybe like putting it on your heart right now, um, that's more the category of people who should think about SB42 um, because it's a global missions thing. And if, if you are interested in that, you should talk to Brandon for more info because he is leading our team from Central to Texas for that. Um, so think about that and everybody else think about SBO for sure. Um, I would just encourage you guys to start thinking about this already. If you might say yes to the gift of spending your spring break on mission with Jesus and a bunch of friends and having an awesome week. Okay, we're wrapping up, I promise. So the story of Peter and John's excellent adventure ends with this last tiny part I want to read you in closing. It's Acts 4, 12 through 13. So the religious leaders are kind of mad, as they, they are. Um, and, and Peter ch- says to everybody listening, guys, salvation is found in no one else because there is no other name under heaven but Jesus's by which we can be saved. And when they, the religious leaders, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were just unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note these men had been with Jesus. If you're kind of like them and you feel unschooled and ordinary like I am, being with Jesus is the only qualifier I see in this text for being an effective witness. They were unschooled, they were ordinary, they had been with Jesus, and their words had the power of somebody who loves Jesus. I don't think that's, I don't see like a specific time frame, like this fine print of like, oh, it has to be like at least four years or like you have to have gone to seminary or anything like that. No, people who have only been a follower of Jesus for five minutes have a passionate story to tell. If you're new to reading your Bible, but you read something that morning and it's like, oh, that's cool, you have something to share with somebody else. God is super, super good at proving himself to other people. He's really good at convicting people and helping them realize their sin and all of that deep down. Our main job is to share to talk about our passion, to, as we are going, let others know about this great God who loves them. And when he prompts us, when he radios something to our brains of like, hey, go talk to that person, like, go call your sister, whatever it might be, um, we can obey and do it and see what he's going to do. I have never, like, I've followed a lot of those risks in my life because I'm like, "Ah, I can't control that. I don't know what God's going to do. And I have never been sorry. At the very worst, they were like, no, thank you. And I was like, okay. They didn't, like, you know, punch me. 
I lived. And at the very best, people have like joined Chi Alpha and come to know Jesus. There's, there's no way to know. But guys, let's rebuild our whole lives around Jesus' mission rather than our mind monster's needs. So as the worship team comes up, uh, a couple application questions for you to reflect on as we start responding to Jesus tonight. First question is, what do you need to surrender to Jesus? Usually there's something tiny even um, for a lot of us at any moment. It's so good. It could be your whole self. could be finally jumping into like giving your whole life to him like we read about. It could be something in your life that the my monster still has a tight grip on like future plans or current priorities or, or some relationship or some sin that's holding us back or fear about my personality or I'm too awkward, I don't know enough, uh, I'm going to mess it up. Guys, those fears are like so natural, possibly universal. Uh, we all experience those. So if there is something that Jesus is pointing out for you right now, remember, bigger or better, I would just encourage you to let it go and trust Jesus. You're always trading up. So what could you surrender tonight? Second thing is, um, second question is, how can you start sharing with others? In class, like Abby, on the go, like Sammy, or doing something that you love to do with others, what story from your life could you naturally share with somebody else that shows the tender love of Jesus and his real power in a real way? Could be something you read in your God time that you could share with somebody else. Um, but I will pray to transition us to our responding and reflecting tonight. Jesus, thank you so much for creating us with a purpose, for helping us know and walk in our new identity. I love that the mission you invite us to is like literally the best investment we could ever make, helping people cross from death to life, from sin to freedom, lost to found. I pray you would speak to all of us tonight, help us know how to take our next step in building our lives on your mission. Set us free from the my monster. Jesus, my monster sucks. Just set us free from him. Um, set us free from what holds us back. Help us fill our brains with ideas of who to start sharing with, how to reach out. And may we see people daily added to your number who are being saved. Would you use us, King Jesus, in your name, amen.